Hi, this is Derek from Atlanta. Unlike Bob, I am a former law enforcement officer, but I still enjoy listening to a practical show by a practical guy. You're listening to the Handgun World Podcast. Hi folks, Bob Main here with another episode of the Handgun World Podcast. I carry a gun because I can't carry a cop. Welcome to episode number 484. So this week I've got another special guest who is going to be uh, interviewing with me here shortly. Dr. John Adine, most of you know who he is. Most of you have heard him on this show before. We talked about a lot of really good stuff. He took a class recently. He talked about that. He talked about some gun rights. He talked about his organization, DRGO, and uh, various other things. So that's coming up. I want to let you know this show is sponsored by Concealment Solutions, makers of fine holsters. Jason Christensen's company, Concealment Solutions, one of the best. I have several of his holsters. Most notably, I like to carry the Cobra outside the waistband Kydex holsters. And 90% of the time, that's what I'm carrying. He's got some specials going on right now. He's the sponsor of this show, so check it out at concealmentsolutions.com. And the coupon code HANDGUNWORLD gets you a 10% discount at checkout. That's HANDGUNWORLD, all one word, gives you a 10% discount coupon code at checkout. Go to concealmentsolutions.com. Before I get started with the interview, many of you may have comments, so I always welcome your emails and your voicemails. The number is 210-646-1727, and of course, uh, you can put comments on iTunes, or you can put comments on the uh, website at handgunworld.com. Also, Ben Branham and I, we're back to teaching again, so a lot of you have been asking us recently, when are you going to be doing classes again? We got one in October and one in November. Uh, towards the end of October 26th and 27th, Saturday and Sunday, and then also November 9th and 10th. Now, we're doing this a little bit differently. For those of you who have graduated, taken our classes before, the first day is kind of similar to the to the Beyond Concealed Carry one days that we used to teach, but we've added a second day, which is qualification only. So we take you through a lot of qualification drills. We haven't done that before, so... Here's a reason for you to come and do this again. And, and, and Ben and I are going to supervise you while you're doing the qualification drills, kind of give you some tips, and also shoot the qualification with you. I want you to know, Ben and I, we, we shoot with our students. We're not the kind of instructors that just stand there and watch. We also also participate. I think that's important of a good instructor. So go to the website, handgunworld.com, October 26th and 27th. You can come for one day. You can come for both days. You get a discount if you come to both days. And there's also early bird discounts. Both of these are going to be in San Antonio at Cedar Ridge Range. 26th and 27th of October and the 9th and 10th of November. I'll be putting more information on the website shortly after this podcast releases. And Ben and I will have them all uh, up on Facebook as well. Class descriptions and registration links. Uh, So with that said... Let's get right to the interview with Dr. John Edine. 
Well, my special guest on this episode, Dr. John Adeen, been here on this episode. You've been here uh, by Skype before on this podcast, even in person from my my truck. What's up, John? Hey, how's it going? Ah, uh, great. You know, I mean, uh, before this recording started, kind of off air, you were telling me you had a you had a heck of a, a hectic day. So I appreciate yeah. you joining me. Yeah, no, we had a lot of broken bones today. Uh, the weather was nice, and kids are out breaking stuff. One kid <laughs> fell, fell off the slide at midnight last night. Can you believe that? Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Fell off the slide. What's he doing on a slide at midnight? Uh, that's my question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For people who don't know that uh, may might be new to my podcast, uh, John is a very well-accomplished accomplished pediatric orthopedic surgeon here in San Antonio, Texas. So you're fixing up bones on kids. Yeah, we had one elective case, and then we had three broken arms. And But, you know, that's pretty uh, typical for this time of year when the weather's not horribly hot. So, so it'll slow down for you when these kids go back to school, or do they uh, break stuff when they're in school, too? Oh, they break stuff when they're in school. In fact, football season's going to be starting oh, pretty soon. Oh, yeah, that's right. And, and so I call that the annual fall carnage. Because kids get really hurt playing football. And because in Texas, I know your people who don't live here don't understand. They start off in like middle school doing playing, you know, school football. And so these, you know, little 12-year-old prepubescent kids get tackled by the, by a 13-year-old postpubescent kid that weighs 100 pounds more than them. Yeah. And they, they get pretty broken. So it's always a mess. And we take uh, football seriously here in Texas, especially uh, at the kids' level. They take it seriously. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, so it keeps your it keeps your clinic and your OR busy, huh? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, also, John, I want to tell listeners, and I'm, I'm gonna let you uh, do a little bit of of your own uh, presentation about yourself, but. Um, you know, not only is John a, a good surgeon, but he's probably one of the most pro Second Amendment doctors in, in America, if not the most uh, pro Second Amendment. J- John's also been a student of of me and Ben Branham many times. Uh, I've taken a class, one or two, with John, and uh, you just recently took a couple of classes. Uh, talk about those. Yeah, I. Um I did the close-range gunfighting four class. Uh, the last episode with John Payne, he was talking about that class to some degree. Well, I was a student in the class back on May 18th and 19th, and that was uh, done in Orange, Texas, on uh, John's home range. Uh, and basically, uh, you're using uh, airsoft guns as your your, your primary, uh, you know, I guess simulator. Simulator. You know, simula- yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they're either green gas or CO2 driven. I had a, a SIG 226, uh, which was uh, CO2. And uh, and those things work pretty well, and they really sting when you get shot. I was going to say, those things <laughs> hurt. They hurt. Yeah, they, they give you the pain penalty. So there, there, there's something to be said about, uh, you know, learning quickly not to get shot. Because you get uh, you get definitely get the pain penalty. I ha- it looked like I had measles on my on my abdomen, and my neck, and you know the other parts that weren't uh, covered. You know, f- we, we you know we you wear a face mask to protect your face, and you can wear something around your neck. And you know I was wearing a couple couple shirts, but it was you know pretty hot, and so you don't want to wear too much stuff. 
uh, Cullen was wearing uh, you know, a vest, though. You know, he was wearing a bulletproof vest because he's smart. He's done these classes before. Oh yeah, he's been there, <laughs> yeah. done that, hasn't he? Oh yeah. So you know, so he was wearing soft body armor, and uh, so he, when you shot him, it wasn't, it, it didn't sting him like it, everybody else. <laughs> but but uh, yeah, but he's so quick. You know, he's a very quick man. He's hard to pin down. He can really move. You know, I'm no I'm no small guy. You know, I'm. You know, about 280 pounds, and so I can't move anywhere near as quick as Cullen can. You know, and you, John, you said something earlier, and now for the second podcast in a row, um, you know, you said it, and John Payne said it before. Second podcast in a row now, I have heard people say, learn how not to get shot. Would you say that's pretty much uh, the primary thing you're going to learn in CRG4? Uh, absolutely. it's and, and it's amazing, actually, how movement can keep you from getting shot and how action beats reaction. I think that's the thing that I really took home from this class is that even if a guy is, is, you know, pointed in on your face, you can actually move well enough to get out of his line of fire and present your gun and to get shots on him before he can get to you. And a lot of people don't realize that, you know, so many people are influenced by what they see in the movies and in Hollywood and things like that. And I took CRG3, uh, that means Close Range Gunfighting uh, by Suarez International, for those who don't know. You took, you took CRG4, and you're right, you can prove that over and over again that even if he's pointed in on you you can still get a, get out of the line of fire can't you right yeah you just have to to move your your head and torso uh out of the line of fire uh, as you're moving to draw and 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 you know put rounds on the bad guy and it's it's surprising how f- much you can move out of the way in the, the, the quarter second it takes him to process what's going on and to react and to, to take a shot. He'll, he'll take the shot, but he'll miss. He'll, shoot, mean, he'll, shoot, he'll shoot behind you and, and over, the, over your head or whatever. In the meantime, you're moving to, moving to the side and, and drawing your, your, uh, your airsoft pistol and, and putting rounds on him. You mean you didn't just drop to your knees and wither in fear because he was pointing a handgun at you? No, I didn't. Not not this time. <laughs> not like in the movies. Not like in Hollywood. How that works? No, it's a, uh, it's it's amazing actually uh, how well movement protects you from getting shot. And, and you know, he started out with basically you're standing, you know, you know, ten yards away from the other guy, and it's like, you know, who, you know, trying to it's like quick draw. You know, who can beat who? And guess what happens what? when you do that. What? You both get shot. You both get shot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You both get shot. So, so that's not something we want to do. We don't want a gun fight. We we want a we want a shooting. We want to shoot them rather than than get shot. Well, let me so, take that a little bit step a step a little bit further. Not only do you uh, you don't want a gun fight, but maybe you want a gun avoid fight and still not have to go see an orthopedic surgeon someday. Yeah. No. I, I, absolutely. I think you know. You know, a, a lot of the awareness and being able to to uh, to intervene early and to you know to avoid the the uh, the uh, the threat rather than uh, have to confront the threat. And you know, it's and we talk about you know awareness and all that kind of stuff. And I think that's certainly uh, very important um, when you get to this level. 
um, you, you've already, you know, your your uh, awareness has failed you, and you know you're you're under attack. Or uh, near the end, we are actually doing you know two on one or three on one. Yeah, oh, how so, did that and, go? Yeah, well, you know, you stack them and whack them. You know, that's to, you move to to put to line them up. It's just like you taught me in your class, where, where you you move yourself so that they they are uh, stacked up behind each other, so they can't shoot you without shooting each other, and you take them one at a time. And uh, so that that's another important thing, how, uh, you know, to know how to do. Um, and, and but you got to see that coming, because if 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 you if it's three on one and there's three line abreast. Uh, you know, you're, you can't shoot all three at the same time. You know, if, if you're, if you're facing three guys standing next to each other, you know, if you, if you, if you see them coming at you, you can start moving to one side and have them, you know, stack behind each other. Then you got a chance. So John, would you say that when you make yourself a moving target, that it's, it's a whole lot more difficult for you to get shot and get, get hit? Oh, Absolutely. Yeah, you still get shot, but you don't get shot as much. Yeah, I mean, cer- certainly, um, if you don't move, you're a much easier target than if you're a moving target. Especially if you're moving kind of at a diagonal towards them, they have to change the the, the number of degrees between where they started and where they have to catch up to you uh, a lot more than if you just move straight say to, at a 90 degree straight to the side they only have to they may only have to move half the the uh you know the arc to to get their gun on you so you you learn about not only moving sideways but moving sideways and forward that makes them react the furthest and it gives you a little bit more time to get your your gun into the into the fight and uh, gives you a little bit more of an advantage moving on the diagonals Right, and it's not just a di- and you know, and certainly running backwards doesn't get you anything. No, it it doesn't. And it gets I've you said, sitting on your butt. Yeah, I was going to say, I was going to say, it gets you knocked on your backside pretty pretty quickly. Yeah, um, that happened to me in the last episode when I was talking to John Payne. I I talked about that it happened to me twice when I took a class similar to this one. I found myself on my rear end and one time flat on my back on the ground. Yeah, no, it's it's not hard to do either, especially if there's you know little ruts. I mean, if you're, we were out on a field, basically out on a range, and there's little ruts and stuff, and you can trip trip over your own feet, but you can also trip over small things because your balance is a little bit off, and you're you're kind of playing catch up and moving. So, you know, it's it's a matter of moving sideways and even moving forward and sideways, which is probably the the best uh, choice. Yeah. Now I want you to weigh in on what I'm about to say. So I've said this thousands of times on this, well, maybe not thousands, hundreds of times on this podcast. And that is, uh, it's pretty difficult with a handgun to shoot and hit a moving target. And when you make yourself a moving target and you learn how to do it effectively, um, yeah, it's, it's amazing how a lot of people have a false sense of security because they carry a gun. And maybe they haven't had a whole lot of training. And so they're thinking the conditions are going to be perfect. Where the bad guy shows up, he's going to be standing there. He's never going to move. He's going to give you the time to get a perfect sight picture. And then he's going to give you the time to gently uh, and slowly squeeze that trigger so you get a good break. So you can make sure you shoot a one-inch group. That's how it all goes down, right, John? Yeah, no, I, I don't even know if I used my sights during the whole weekend. <laughs> it was mostly point shooting and moving. And, you know, if anything, you're just, 
you're, you may be looking down down the uh, the edge of your slide rather than trying to find your sights. You're just you know looking looking at, you know kind of metal on meat type of, of sight picture, and, and and that's what you're shooting, you know. And um, it's it's you know it's eye opening to say the least. Let's put it that way. It is and. I find it interesting whenever, especially when I go competition shooting, and there are moving targets that you have to hit, and everybody freaks out. People, Most of the time, people don't do very well on the moving targets. And, you know, about six or seven years ago, it dawned on me one day during a, a competition match, during an IDPA match, I thought, you know what? Uh, it's because people don't get a chance to practice shooting at a moving target, Right. Right, absolutely. Unless you're you're a skeet shooter or you know you're a right. shotgunner, I mean those guys are expert at, at, at figuring out lead and and uh, exactly yes you know, they are t- time, timing their shots where they want to make the shot break and stuff. But this is unpredictable stuff. This is you know this is human behavior. It's a lot different than you know trying to predict the path of a of a uh, clay bird coming out of the high house. You know, on a skeet field, that's predictable. And, uh, what, and, and this is in no way to show any disrespect at all to people who are in the shotgun sports because they're they're awesome people. They're excellent shots, and it's amazing what they do. They also have ammunition that's throwing out a pattern of of uh, you know right. it's, it's it's a pattern out there. A, a last time I checked, there aren't very many handguns that throw out a pattern. No, they're not. But you know, th- these guys are good at, at at figuring out leads. They are. They're and, good at it because they. And, and so that you know, I think I, I had a little bit of an advantage because I've done a fair no- amount of shotgunning. Yeah, you have. And so, so I, uh, you know, and last summer I took a uh, active shooter interdiction class out at Firearms Academy Seattle. Oh, and talk we had, about that. Yeah, we had mo- we had moving targets on on, on a pulley system, so good. we were shooting them from uh, back to twenty yards. Um, and and shooting movers, and so you you know, and you couldn't you couldn't draw the gun until the target passed a certain point, uh, you know, as on its course, and then you could draw and shoot, and, and you know, and I I did quite well on that uh, because again, you know, I've done a lot of shotgunning, so I, I have had an idea what kind of a lead you need to have, and you know, because a, a, a nine millimeter pistol and a, and a shotgun. It's really not a whole lot of differences in velocity. Most of them are around, you know, thousand to eleven hundred feet per second. Yeah. And I, and, and I was shooting one hundred forty-seven grain, which is a little bit slower. So it's it's closer to what a shotgun is. So it's it wasn't as bad. So I found it a little easier to make the hits. But but that's the kind of things that we were doing. We were shooting at fifty yards, you know, shooting steel targets, you know, steel silhouettes and and eight-inch circles and and you know, eighteen-inch circles. Um, around obstacles all the way out to 50 yards what are you talking about what are you talking about making 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 hits at 50 yards with with a handgun that's impossible john come on oh no no it's not impossible in fact i saw masad ayub make perfect (laughs) hits with with a uh six inch revolver or maybe it was a four inch revolver but it's an old you know one of his old smith and western revolvers made Made perfect hits every time. The guy was unbelievable. And this is before he had his eyes fixed, before he got his cataracts done. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, now, he, now he's pretty amazing. Now, now that he's had his cataracts done, he can probably do 100 yards now, huh? Yeah, I'm sure he could. He's he's pretty amazing guy. But, so, but, let's back up, so let's back up for just a minute. So it's hard to hit the moving target. You found that out. You find yourself mostly point shooting, uh, using the metal on meat technique and things like that. And for listeners that are wondering, what, what, is, what are Bob and John talking about? You know what? We can't really it's, – it's hard for you to understand what we're talking about unless you actually go to one of these classes. 
Right. But uh, to try to explain it, you know, the, the, the target is the meat. And you're lining the gun up so that it, it at least covers, you know, the, the middle of the target. That's that's the metal on meat. You're, mm-hmm. It's a flash sight picture. You're just you're just trying to, to get the gun pointed, you know, where it's going to be effective. You're not trying to get, you know, the, the you know the the sights centered and and uh, you know you're you're just trying to get the gun pointed in the center of mass. And and surprisingly, with a little bit of practice, it's not that bad and it's not that hard to do. So you said you didn't really look at your sights much. No. So no. then, in in your opinion, John, just how important are sights on a defensive handgun? Well, I think they're important for more distance shots, yeah. for more precision. Yeah. Like if you if you have a hostage situation and you have to take a headshot at twenty five yards, there you go. Yeah. You absolutely need your sights. Absolutely, yes. But but at close range, within you know three yards or four yards or whatever, and you're moving. You're doing your best not to get shot and to put rounds on the bad guy, and so that's that's when those techniques are are very effective, and you have to be able to go each direction too. You just can't go one direction. You have to be able to move to the right or left. There may be a wall to your right. You may have to move left, um, and you better or, know how to move versa. left effectively. Right, and you need to and you need to basically know what to do with your footwork. You know, there's no fancy footwork. It's turn your body and, and run like you normally run. You know, but it's it's it's. You think of your upper body as the turret of a tank, and the lower body is the tracks. The tracks are going one way, the turret's pointed the other way, and you're putting putting rounds on. And it's amazing when I first took a class like that. It's amazing how you know the lights came on for me after about about the end of the first day. I thought to myself, you know. I can just imagine all of these shooters out there at lining up a target at, let's say, seven yards. And, you know, their their shots are all over the place, and they're blaming the sights. And they're saying, well, you know what, uh, this trigger is not good enough, or these sights are not good enough, or I don't like the grip angle of this gun, or it's too heavy, it's too... It's like golf. There's a thousand excuses why they didn't perform very well. I think golfers might have a few more excuses than shooters, but they're always complaining about their equipment. But most of the fights are, are going to be in that in that seven-yard range or, or closer. Right. right. They're, they're going to be, yeah, at least within... You know, within ten, most likely, you're you're good. It's going to be pretty close. Yeah, I'll take back what I said. I think I've heard shooters come up with just as many excuses as golfers. Yeah. So I mean, the bottom line is, it's something you have to practice. It's something that you have to do. Um, and the nice thing about these airsoft guns is that they have a similar weight to to real guns. There's a little bit of a recall. It's not as much as as you would get with a uh, yeah. You know, with a with a, a standard firearm, but the the slide cycle, and so you you know you have to regain your sight picture or your at least get your your eyes on the on the the target and with the gun in there, um, you know. So there's there's movement. It's not just a it's not just like a plastic toy where it goes click 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 and the little things pop out of there. It actually cycles the action and and loads out of the magazine, and uh, so that's that's fun. That's a lot of fun actually. Uh, with, with the exception of getting shot, that wasn't so much. No, fun. that's not fun. So it was a two-day class, right? Yeah. The second day, we actually started off doing tooler drills. Uh huh. And so, and right. this is for tell this people is for what real. a real. Tell people what a tooler drill is. Sure. The the tooler drill is 
you you have a gun holstered. You have an opponent at a certain distance away with a contact weapon, a knife, a club, or whatever. And when he starts to move, you have to draw and shoot. Okay. And we first started off with no movement. You had to you had to stand there and you know stand and fight basically. And uh, so Dennis Tuller and, and his his group did that, and they found that somewhere around 21 feet is the distance where the bad guy is going to get to get you just as badly. Approximately. Yeah, approximately. Yeah. And, and it depends on conditions. And His the, conditioning, how good a shape is he or she in, and right. things like that. But and certainly uphill versus downhill. Uphill versus and, downhill. And, and what, what's the surface? Putting, is it gravel? Is it dirt, grass, right. whatever? Exactly. And, you know, and if there's any obstacles in the way, of course, that, that adds time to the, to the thing. So, you know, th- those are the kind of things that we can think about, putting obstacles between the bad guy and ourselves. Uh, so, like, if if you're out on the street, you can put a car between him and you. That certainly gives you a lot more time to do what you need to do. Um, but if the guy's inside that 21 feet, then there's a good chance he's going to get to you and and cause serious bodily injury before you can employ your your firearm. And and I tell you one thing, it, it puts a lot of pressure on you to get a good clean draw if you're coming out for, of concealment. You know the the snags that you get and all this kind of stuff with your with your cover garment. Um, th- those errors become very apparent when you're under that type of pressure. Yeah, they do. They magnify about ten times worse than you yeah. think that they are. And and I learned that you know what, even though I got a little bit of a belly, that <laughs> appendix carry is so much better. You can get to the gun quicker, and you can be you know it's easier to clear your garment. So I've pretty much gone to all appendix now because really uh, yeah oh yeah it's really? it's just okay it's just it's slower um, to to get the gun from the hip and and it's harder to clear that garment you know I wear a lot of like fishing shirts you know those nylon fishing shirts mm-hmm, me too and and and, and getting clearance sometimes they're a little sometimes they're a little snug on my little round body <laughs> and uh, and so sometimes getting those things cleared is is is, is difficult. And so it's, all it takes is one little snag, whereas when you you know I, I took the um, the appendix inside the waistband holster with Spencer Keepers uh, last fall. I want to take that, and uh, and I can tell you that you learn. He shows you how to clear your garment so that you're not going to get snagged, and and how to how to draw from from the appendix you know, position in the holster and get a good clean uh, holster draw and get you know get the gun out there. So I, I've pretty much gone to appendix now, um, and even when I carry my little Sig three sixty five, I carry that in the appendix holster. Now, but so many people say, uh, well, because of my size and shape, I can't uh, appendix carry. You wanna you wanna address that, John? Yeah. Well, Spencer Keepers is not small either. Nope. Okay, and, and he's and he carries a uh, a, a, a Beretta, Beretta ninety two. Yeah. Yeah, in an appendix carry, and he's quite proficient with it. Trust me, I've seen him do it. Um, and I, and I I carry you know when I'm using one of his holsters, I carry a two twenty Sig two twenty six with a red dot on it, and yeah. um, and, and you can conceal that. And, and it's got it's got uh, eighteen round magazine. I got uh, magwells on it. So I've got an extra long magazine on that thing, and I can still hide it very easily under my little fishing shirt. And uh, so drawing from from the appendix, even when you have a little bit of a belly, or in my case, maybe a little bit more than that, um, it, it, it's a matter of, you know, he shows you how to 
position the holster. And of course, you need a good belt, but you also need to get that holster sitting in that in that crease in your groin. That's where it needs to be. Yeah, also and, called the sweet spot. Yeah, and uh, so uh, and you and you need to have an appendix carry holster that's designed specifically you, for you, appendix. It, that's a great point, John. You gotta yeah. have and Spencer. I I have two of Spencer's uh, holsters. If you, I have three, you got three. You do <laughs> yeah. have to have one designed. You can't just take any old holster that you buy for twenty nine dollars and appendix carry that thing. It, it's probably right. it's probably just not going to work. Right. In, in most of cases, it won't. The, the, the little small, smaller pistols, you have probably a little bit more of a, um, uh, a little more leeway, I guess. You know, for like, so the SIG 365 or the Glock 43, those you can probably get away a little bit easier because they just have less gun. But with the full size stuff, or if you, you know, have a Glock 19 size gun, mm-hmm. you, you probably want a, uh, a holster that's designed. And, and during his class, he goes over a whole bunch of different kind of holsters, not just his holster. So he shows you kind of the, the, the pros and cons of, of these different holster designs, you know, ones with the wings and yep. all this kind of stuff. And his have a, um, have a, like a foam wedge um, that, you, that Velcros onto the bottom of the holster. And that helps push the grip into your into your abdomen, mm-hmm. and plus it's also built with a kind of almost like a plastic wedge into it too. So uh, you know, it basically what it does is it tilts the gun in towards your abdomen and the, puts the butt uh, up against your side. You're talking and about so, mainly the foam wedge, right? right yes. But there's also but it's also kind of a wedge shaped plastic part too, right? And on the back side, I think there's yes. a little bit of a, of a uh, so there's a little bit of a contour there that helps helps push it push the butt of the gun in towards towards your your belly so it's not sticking out away from you yeah and and, the, and it's important to have a belt that's fully adjustable that you, it's not just holes but one that you have you can pull tight and either velcro or uh, some of those the buckles that have the uh, the little sliding metal piece inside I have so one of those on, yeah and I got so one of it's those. it's something along those lines. Um, and, and, and so you need a good buckle that's, that's infinitely adjustable. You don't, you can't do the ones with the holes cause it's, it, you know, it's either too loose or too tight. And so you need to be able to adjust it. So it's sitting right where you want it to sit. You need to be able to adjust it depending on how many tacos did you eat that day? Exactly. And you know, what's interesting is with it to hear you talk about appendix carry, everybody thinks that you need to have a small gun, but you just talked about using your SIG 226 with a red dot on it, appendix carrying just fine. Yeah. Actually having a lot of gun below your belt is actually better. It's actually better. Yeah. Yeah. Because, because that, that extra weight is kind of a counterbalance. So it actually, it helps keep your gun from tipping forward. If you have a short barreled gun, and uh, you got a little bit of a roll. Sometimes that that holster will want to tip forward, and, and almost roll, you know, roll off. But if you have a longer, you have a longer gun, the the, the bottom end of that holster is sitting on your pubic bone. Yep. And 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 that's one of the nice parts about that wedge. It's a little bit of a pad for that area because it can get a little sensitive, especially if you're sitting in a car for you know six hours like I did that one time, driving oh, yeah. up to, driving up to the that class. It gets pretty sore after a while if you're, you know. So, you need to make sure that you uh, you have everything adjusted right, and uh, you know. But uh, definitely, appendix in my book is the way to go. Uh, now, if you're a beginner, it, it's probably a little safer to to go from the hip. Um, 
but uh, you know, e- even you know, the most dangerous thing is reholstering, and and Spencer teaches you how to reholster by yes, you know, bring bringing your your shooting leg back out of the way and pushing your pelvis forward and you, and coming right down into the into the holster, um, and you know, of course, you don't want to tip it pointed in towards you, towards your body. Obviously, you don't want to be pointing at at your junk. That would be not a good thing. And you know, I or see your a lot of femoral people- artery. Or your femoral, yes. And I see a lot of people when they're carrying strong side hip and they're reholstering. I see a lot of them point the gun at their at their body. And even if they're right. pointing it at their, let's say they're a right-hander and they're pointing it at their their right hip at about the three thirty four o'clock position. John, you're a you're you're a surgeon. So yeah. if if I send a if I send a hundred and forty seven grain federal HST into my uh, right hip. How much damage is that going to cause? Uh, it's going to it's going to rock your world. Yeah, it's it's going to make you crippled because if if you if you manage to miss your femoral head or your hip socket, it's going to go into your pelvis and hit your bowel, bladder, and probably some nerves. Uh, and so that's that's not a that's not a good thing. That's uh that that's going to make you crippled and you may bleed out. There's some pretty good sized blood vessels inside there too. Now, and okay, so, so so since we're since we're um, we're talking anatomy with an anatomy expert right now on the line. Uh, yep. Okay, how on, on an average size man, how wide is the femoral artery? It's about the size of your thumb. Okay, it's about the size of my thumb. So so let's stop. Let, let let's analyze that. The femoral artery is about the size and the width of my thumb, okay? People think that it's really easy to shoot yourself in the femoral artery, but to me, the size of my thumb, that seems kind of small. Yeah, but the thing is, even if the bullet passes, like, right next to the artery, a lot of that yeah. blast wave can damage it. Okay. And, and, you, and there are also pretty good-sized branches that come off of it, yeah. which will bleed like stink. Um Ask me how I know. Ask you how you know. Yes. <laughs> You've seen a few, haven't you? Yes, I've seen quite a few. But you can, can you get... also can you also shoot yourself in a fatal area if you shoot yourself in the strong side hip? Oh, absolutely. How? Yeah, you can. How, how can you do that? Oh, you just you hit the you know superior gluteal artery, uh, and that you'll bleed into your pelvis and bleed out. And yeah. and, it, and it's pretty hard to put a tourniquet around that too because it's inside. Yeah, you know, you're, yeah, you're right. Yeah, and so. So, yeah, I mean, no matter what, you still have to keep the muzzle pointed in a safe direction. Always. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, if you need to look it into the holster, look it into the holster. And just as uh, important as keeping the muzzle in a safe direction, you got to keep that finger off that trigger. Right. You right. just got to do that. Uh, I have a friend who's a new shooter, and we're going to be taking a class together in October. Um, and uh, I sent him a really – Jerry Mikulik does a beautiful job of uh, holster draw and, and all the safety things that go with it. Okay. And it's on, it's on YouTube, but he did a really nice job. So I sent that to my friend so he can help, at least help him you know, get a little bit of practice in and, and before we take this class so he, he can you know, do some dry practice. And, of course, it's important to do dry reps. You don't want to be – Absolutely. You know, if, you're, if you're learning how to run out of a holster – and it, it's nice to have somebody actually watch you do it. Uh, because somebody who knows what they're doing, because they'll pick things up that you won't necessarily see. Yeah. Yeah. And also when, when someone's watching you do it also have them videotape you so that you can back and uh, go back and watch it over and over again. 
Yeah, that's not a bad idea either. You can you got it, and you can watch it over and over, and and listen to what they told you. Yeah. So uh, you know, running out of a holster, I think it's something that really somebody should be watching you while you're learning how to do it, so that you do it right, and that you don't make this, the mistakes. A lot of you know, for instance, and, and people with um, striker fire guns. Uh, you know, a lot of people will put their thumb on the back of the slide and lift the finger away from the slide so that your finger is not anywhere near the, uh, the, the trigger as you're holstering. Uh, with a, a hammer-fired gun, you can put your thumb right on the right hammer. Right on the hammer, yep. And, and so, so if, if something catches your, uh, your trigger, that hammer will want to start coming back and you can stop. Uh, the other thing is when you reholster and if you feel some strange resistance, stop. And get the gun back out and check and see if there's not there's some, a T-shirt or, you know, uh, you know some, something that's down in that holster that, that may be impeding the holster, uh, you know, the gun going back in the holster. It may cause a, a discharge. And since we're on that subject about something in the holster or whatever, this is where the importance of having a, a quality-made all-kydex holster comes into play because some leather holsters, I won't make it, mention any names, sometimes the soft leather can get in the way of the trigger. Yes, I've experienced that. You have? Uh, oh, yeah. I, I, I took a class. I was running, running at you know 3.30 with a, uh, with a, a hybrid holster. And the little the little tab that uh, you know, kind of a shield, mm-hmm. kept folding over into you know as I'm trying to holster, it was folding into the holster ah, and and blocking okay. it. And it was a very humid day, and I was sweating up a storm. So, you know, I think the added moisture certainly w- was a problem. And I, and I had to, to to ditch that holster and go to outside the waistband Kydex holster. And after that, I, I was I was okay. Another experience was, I've had, John, with that. You just mentioned not only can the can the leather fold and get into the trigger, but it also allows my uh, T-shirt, for example, if my T-shirts become untucked quite a bit, right. that soft leather holster, it's more susceptible for my T-shirt to get inside that trigger guard, also. Right, and, and certainly uh, that can happen with with or you know with a kite with any kind of inside the waistband holster but not as much i don't think yeah well i don't know I, I i just don't have as much experience with with kydex inside the waistband holsters i certainly have a lot of experience with with the hybrids and that's why i've gone to kydex yeah <laughs> so um and, and and frankly going with the appendix you know it, it solves both of those issues yeah it does so, so yeah. you mentioned you mentioned a few minutes ago tourniquets. So that's a good way to lead into our next subject. You recently took a, a class uh, taught by Caleb Causey. You want to talk about that? Right. Yeah. This was uh, uh, at KR training, and it was on June first and second of this year. And uh, Caleb called called it Operation Analeptic, and analeptic is is something that makes you relax and calm, which is which is a tongue in cheek because this thing was not relaxing and not very calm. <laughs> I'm sure it was not. Okay, because basically this was a it was kind of a tactical uh, medicine course. Um, it was a it was a day and a half, and um, and so what we we you know our first thing was of course was doing a, a safety brief, and then he went over to um, you know, kind of describe different kinds of tourniquets and how to use them and how to put them on, and uh, we also talked about. Um, manual drags and carries because that's part of the tactical medicine thing if you're involved in a, in a um, you know uh, a shooting or or whatever or some kind of conflict say uh, you know antifa gets crazy and and start starts uh, shooting 
and uh, somebody gets shot, the first thing you want to do is get that person off the X. You don't, you know, especially if they're still in the open. And so you can give them verbal commands. You can talk to them and say, hey, you know, can you crawl over here and, and uh, you know, come to my voice. Even if they can't see you, they can hear you, yeah. you know, and, um, you know, and then you can, you know, you can just say or you know, start crawling and I'll guide you, you know, you know, so if they have to get around obstacles and stuff, you can guide them. Um, you know, they teach you how to do, you know, one one person drags and two people, two person uh, carries or two person drags. Uh, and, and he had this this cruel 165 pound sandbag dummy Ooh. that 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 uh, we we uh, we did some um, like shoot house scenarios where you're, you know, you're, you're drop, pull up in your car and they have a, a you know, a, a shot up car that they have outside the thing. You start off in the car, you drive up and you, you hear gunfire and your friends, oh, I've been shot. So now you and your friend have to, you know, go, you know, go in the house to get your friend out. And, uh, you know, you have to clear the house. So you're working house clearing and room clearing and stuff like that. And, you know, it, of course, every once in a while, you may get shot, and then you have to put a tourniquet on yourself and, you know, this kind of stuff. And then you got to get the your, your buddy out of there and then get him out of the house and treat the wounds. And, of course, you know, you're, you got to call 911 and get the ambulance rolling and, you know, all those kind of things. All extremely valuable, valuable yeah. stuff to know. Yeah. And, and, you know, it was it was really uh, very well done. Um uh, Caleb was the main instructor, but he also has a partner, Kyle Omberg, who did a great job as well. And those those two guys were, were very, very good. They were very knowledgeable and knew what they were doing. Uh, Kyle's a, a lieutenant uh, fire fireman. And, uh, in fact, he hired Caleb to work in the fire department years ago. Oh, I didn't know that. So, yeah. And, and Kyle's a, a really good, good guy. Really good guy. And carrying a 165-pound dummy, I bet that's not very easy. No, we just dragged it. We didn't carry. It. But even even dragging it is oh, yeah, probably no, not yeah. that easy. Yeah, no, you got you have to know you have to be, you know sit it up and then you got to get your hook your arms up underneath and you want to get those get that thing lifted up high up up to your chest and so so that you're not drag you're not bent over while you're you're standing up straight while you're dragging and and uh, moving that dummy and of course then there's you know. There's tape marks on the dummy, so you have to once once you get them into a safe place, then you have to start assessing, and you you know you do kind of the claw thing, you know, where you 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 kind of scrape down the head, the you know the side of the head, the back of the head, you know, the chest on you know basically everything's a box, so you have to you know and looking for blood, and then once you get done with that, you have to roll them on the side, check the back, you know, make sure there's not any wounds in the backside. All that kind of stuff. So that's all part of the assessment that you that you learned, and then um, you know, yeah, and then uh, you know, you know, we usually end up putting tourniquets on, and then they show he shows you how to pack wounds and different kinds of of uh, gauze and um, you know the the quick clot stuff. Um, you know, there's a Celox Rapid, Celox C E L O X, and then yeah. there's the the quick clot combat gauze. Um. Which you know, and then it shows you how to pack those wounds where you, where you have to you know push it down into the hole, and you know where you shouldn't use them, where you where you should use them. Um, besides the, um, you know the the, uh, the windless type tourniquets, you know there's several different versions of that. Uh, and he showed actually how to use a triangle bandage, using a set of car keys and a really? carabiner, how to make yeah how to make an improvised tourniquet out of that. Wow. I thought that was 
Yeah, and that was pretty pretty interesting. Survival really, stuff, basically. Yeah. Oh, exactly. So you you know so triangle bandages are cheap, and you can you can um, you know you can you can use uh, you know stuff that you have around or you know stuff that you have plenty of. Uh, to to improvise a tourniquet, but it's better to have a bunch of regular tourniquets. Frankly, they're much easier to use, and you know you're you're a lot quicker. But it, you know if you start to get to a point where you're running out of regular tourniquets, you know, and, and, and basically the two major ones they talk about are the are the cat tourniquet and the and the soft tea uh, tourniquets, um, and both of those have the windlass. There's a little bit of difference, but uh, the, the important thing about applying tourniquets is the windlass is not not the thing that you you have to you have to snug it down using the straps and um you know and then you can turn the you can turn the windlass if you oh, just okay. if you if you don't cinch it down snug and he shows you how to how to do that you take the slack out of the buckle not just pulling on it because if you just pull on it it'll just want to spin around mm-hmm. but you have to put it on a certain way and then get the slack out of the buckle once you get it, and even shows you how to kind of saw it up the leg to get it up high in the groin or up in the arm. You know, you want to get all the way up in the up in the armpit. You want to get it as high up as you can, because you know if you have a laceration and the artery retracts, you want to definitely get above it. And sometimes you even have to put two tourniquets on, stack them one on top of the other. You know, one just below the other, I should say. Oh, okay, that's interesting. And you you can put two tourniquets on. Because sometimes one will kind of slow it down a, a little bit, but when you get that second one, you get enough, to, especially like somebody with big thighs and stuff. Um, so sometimes that second one will actually get things to shut off. And they, you know, the, the question is how how tight you put the tourniquet on. You put it on tight enough to stop the bleeding. You know, so that's that's the key. And once you put it on, you leave it on until you get to you know wherever you need to get to. And the the military has left tourniquets on for hours and hours and hours in the field transporting people. Um, and I, I routinely use a pneumatic tourniquet, which is basically a blood pressure cuff, for two hours at a time when I do surgery, and with with absolutely really? no, yeah with absolutely no harm. Now, it, it's really uncomfortable. Yeah, having a tourniquet on your leg is very uncomfortable because it's it's kind of like putting a blood pressure cuff on your arm, inflating it, and leaving it and up. And leaving it there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and that's very, very uncomfortable. And we've all experienced the, the blood pressure thing in the doctor's office. And after 20 seconds, it's uncomfortable. Yes. Well, Two hours after, must be uh, awful. Yeah. No, it's excruciatingly painful. But most of those people are in pretty bad shape. And so it's, you know, it's, it's, it's life or death. Because the, the problem is, is that, you know, when those little red blood cells come out and hit the hit the sidewalk you can't put them back in they're done yeah and and you know those those red blood cells are box cars for carrying oxygen so if you run out of box cars you you can't oxygenate your tissues and you you die and you know you've got uh, about five liters of blood if you're a normal sized person and if you lose half that blood volume you you're you may have already irreversible organ damage which you may not be able to to recover from so and all this, all this, you know, people don't think about uh, why you need to know this. You know, they think, okay, I carry a gun, I get in, a, I get in some kind of a problem, I defend myself, and it's all over, and I jump back in my car and go home. Uh, but they don't consider the fact, uh, what, what if you get shot in the process? What's or happen? Or your spouse who was standing next to you when the Gets guy was shot. shooting at, right? Yeah, you know. And so there's a, there's a, you carry. 
you carry your your kit for not for yourself well not for other people but for yourself right. and your loved ones you don't carry the kit you know to uh to treat people out on the street no um now i i do have a box that i carry in my car for you know if i come on an accident or something that has all kinds of stuff in it but you know that's i can't carry that with me when I'm walking around the streets, a little know, tough I'm, to do that, isn't it? Yeah, and I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't carry a big toolbox with me when I, uh, you know, when I go to Walmart to uh, pick up some groceries or whatever. So, what do you carry with you then? Uh, I carry, um, I have a, an ankle uh, tr- kit that I carry, a tourniquet. I carry uh, a chest, two chest seals, an Israeli bandage, and a and a uh, quick clot gauze, plus a. Um, a, a rescue hook to for cutting clothes off, and okay. I can ra- I can carry that on my ankle under my pants, and nobody even knows it's there. Very very interesting. So, what what other takeaways did you get from Caleb's class? Well, not only did we do, you know, we had some time in the shoot house. We also did some range time, and and a lot of it was you know basically, uh, you know, handling threats, and then. You know, self-application of tourniquets under time time constraint, which which takes some practice, and, but it really makes it so that you get pretty good at learning how to put a tourniquet on. And you can look at a tourniquet, and you don't even you know, yeah, okay, yeah, it looks pretty simple. You put it on stuff until you're trying to fiddle with it one-handed. Oh. Then all then all of a sudden it, it becomes difficult. And if you get shot in in one in your arm, in one arm or the other. That means you're going to be applying the tourniquet one-handed. One-handed, that's right. Yeah, and so the, those are skills that you need to be able to do because you may only have one hand to use, or that other hand may be busy doing something else. Yeah, sort of like learning to shoot one-handed as well. Yeah, exactly. With both hands. because And the reason you need to know that is because, like you just said, what if you get shot in one arm or in one hand, or what if somebody is has got a hold of your arm or hand and they're pinning it behind your back or something like that or you got to right. move your kid out of the way you got to move your spouse out of the way or you got to move an innocent person out of the way or whatever right exactly you so know, can you shoot one handed and can you can you do well and can you apply a tourniquet and and administer medical aid to yourself one handed exactly and and so it's something that it sounds easy it's not and and you know you have to you have to uh, deal with the basic principles of, uh, you know, pulling the, um, you know, making sure you get the slack out of the strap part before you even start to twist the, the windlass. And uh, if, you, if you don't do that, then you're not going to be able to, to tighten down that, that windlass far, enough in order to get uh, enough compression to stop the bleeding. So Very interesting. Very yeah, interesting. So, so these are all very important things to understand. I love how you're out there getting training all the time. John, the last time you were on this podcast, I asked you how many hours of training you had. And I, I remember what, I think I remember what the figure was. How, how many hours of training have you had to date? Uh, I'm it's somewhere in the mid 900s, 950 or 60 or something like that. I think the last figure you gave me was about 750. Yeah, I'm I'm about nine and nine fifty or nine. I don't know. I, I got to look at the numbers. Think about that, folks. Think about that. Those of you listening to this podcast, nearly a thousand hours of training. Yeah, and, and you know, every time you take a class, there's something new to learn. Yeah, and I, and I try to I try to take you know classes 
or like a, you know, range master tactical conference. That's just a smorgasbord of, of oh, a, a yeah. opportunity to learn. And it's in, it's in Dallas this upcoming year. Yeah. Which means I, which means I don't have an excuse to miss it. Right. And so, yeah, we five need to hour make, drive. No problem. I've already, I've already signed up. Yeah. So, but I think there's still availability. So it's, it's, you know, it's worth doing. It's, it's probably the most economical, uh, training opportunity that you have. I think the cost is in the mid, like 350 or 375 for three days of training. Yeah, I've been to two tactical conferences, and they're just yeah. simply awesome. Yeah, and 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 uh, Tom Givens gets um, top-notch people from all around the country to come in and, and teach their thing, you know. And uh, like Spencer Keepers does a thing on appendix draw. Yeah, I've and, been to I've been to it twice. It's very good. Yeah, yeah, and and um, you know. Um, William April talks about uh, violent criminal actors, you know, his area of expertise. And, and if you've never heard him talk about that, it, it's not only eye opening, it is jaw dropping. Scary. Yeah, because it, it, you don't understand the psyche of these violent criminals who look at you like, like they would look at a sheep or a cow. You know, you're, you're just a means to an end, you're, you're food. And, uh, they, you know, they don't really care how you feel. You're, you're just a way to get to whatever they're trying to get, either money or power or whatever. But, and, and violence is their, is their coin. They, they don't have an ounce of regard for human life either. No, no. And, uh, and so certainly, you know, it, it's opportunities like that that you just have to take. And, it, and it's just, you know, I've gone to, I think, three of these now. I'll, this will be my fourth one coming up. And uh, I, I try not to miss them because they're just so valuable. And you can you can you know pick and choose. There's there's usually three or four different uh, classes going on at any one time. And you can you know the, the shooting ones you have to sign up for in advance. But the um, but the classroom ones you can just walk in and you know uh, Chuck Haggard will teach you know show you how to use uh, pepper spray. You know and um, you know you'll you'll have uh, Lee Weems teach you how to use a lever action rifle or uh, the, ta yeah. the tactical professor teach you how to run a revolver. Um, it's, it's all these, uh, all these kind of, you know, people that, that come to this as instructors who are just absolutely the top. You know, if you want to do, um, you know, force on force stuff, you know, Craig Douglas does a, does a force on force class. Uh, guys like, uh, Cecil oh. Birch. Will, Cecil Birch, yeah, yep. teach you about jujitsu kind of things and uh -huh. how to. Yeah, that's what I was. I was trying to think of his name. I was blanking on it. And, yeah. You know, so you can roll around out in the dirt, you know, doing doing jujitsu type of activities. And, now, now I've done this. So, advice to anybody going to tactical conference: if you're going to take Cecil's class, make sure you got a good supply of ibuprofen for afterwards. Yeah, and, and uh, yeah, definitely, <laughs> definitely. You're gonna get sore and send some band aids for your scrapes and, and oh, yeah, and band aids too. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so, but it's but it's pretty good. You know, th this last year I was doing kind of a introduction to uh, to to like kind of jujitsu things for old guys. That we were in a tent, and I whacked my leg on a metal chair and got a huge hematoma, which still I have a lump there. You know. Six months later. <laughs> what do you mean, old later. guys? There's no old yeah. guys going yeah. there, are there? Come yeah, on. we're a bunch of old guys. No, Some of no, us are, anyway. No, no. Uh, all no. right. I used to think that we were all middle aged until John Payne set me straight on the last episode about that. He, 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 he reminded me I'm not middle aged yet. 
Or barely above it. Barely above middle age. Let's put it. Well, there. my dad's ninety-one, so yeah, he's and he's still going strong. So I can expect at least, hopefully, make it that long. Yeah. Well, no, actually, I'm I'm, I'm wrong. What am I thinking? He made me realize that that yes, indeed, I am middle aged but I'm still young. I it's I, I don't I do not have a middle aged mind. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, it's all. Yeah. You have to train your mind and your body. Yeah. Yeah. But let, but let's call ourselves uh, middle aged That that's better. Yeah. That's better than old. I like well, that better. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm pushing sixty this year, so I think I'm I can I can call myself seasoned at least a little. Seasoned. Bit. Now that's a better that's a better word. Yeah, I'm I age wise, I'm not too far behind you. Yeah, that's that little salt and pepper up there. <laughs> the little salt. I don't know, man. A lot of us have mostly salt and no pepper. Yeah, I'm, I'm mostly salt <laughs> nowadays too. So. All right, so so John, uh, I want to wrap this up in about five or six months. This this, this has been awesome and. Uh, a lot of people don't know that you are also one of the uh, major factors at an organization called DRGO, which is Doctors for Responsible Gun Ownership. So talk about that. Yeah, DRGO is a Second Amendment Foundation organization where we fall under their umbrella, kind of like what uh, Jews for the Preservation of Firearms Ownership is. So we're we're kind of a subsidiary of, of Second Amendment Foundation, and it's basically it's it's uh, healthcare professionals and other I mean, just regular people too. And and what we do is we we educate about you know the use of firearms, and we also analyze the um, the literature coming out of the uh, medical community that's often quite biased and, and, and you know anti-Second Amendment. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's there's all these studies come out from the AMA and the American Academy of Pediatrics. The pediatricians have gotten really really bad, and we even have several pediatricians that that work for us and write for us, and they're just appalled at what's what the pediatricians are coming out with nowadays. You know they're they're calling you know. People up to age 26, children or whatever. What? Since since when are you a child? Yeah, just to pad the numbers for gun violence, because you realize that the gangbangers are you know are the ones that are the majority of the people getting getting killed with guns, and you know so if they start off at 15 and 16, you know even if you stop at 18, there's still a huge number of, of of people getting shot between. You know, nineteen and twenty-five. Yeah. So what what they have to do is include those numbers to pad their their statistics, to you know to to say hey, look how many children are are being you know shot. Now and, that's you know, just downright uh, deceitful and and it's more than misleading. I think that's just that's that's terrible manipulating. Oh, absolutely. Well, but they're not they're not against lying. You know, to push their agenda—that's the thing—and and so they, they just call it. We call it selective bias. Yeah. It's a selection bias, and 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 so they write these bias papers. Um, you know, for instance, the CDC back in the late 1980s did a bunch of studies that paralleled um, Kleck's study on defensive gun uses, and they confirmed his studies. But instead of publishing it, they just buried it. So they never, really? they never, yeah, they never published. There was like three different years of, of studies that they did. His was like in 1994, and they did like 1996, 97, and 98. But instead of coming out with us, you know, confirming Kleck studies, they buried them. And the only reason we found out was because Kleck was going through some of the old questionnaires at the CDC, and he found all these questionnaires 
And he, he actually a- analyzed the data and said, hey, these guys, you know, they, they confirmed my study. <laughs> wow. So, yeah. So, so this, is the, this is the kind of honesty that we have in established medicine. Um, you, know, you know, the CDC got defunded back in the 1990s, uh, I think 1996, and DRGO, we were actually part of the, part of the reason why we got them defunded. Uh, you know, our leadership actually testified in front of the, the committee uh, that, uh, you know, the, the uh, appropriations committee, and, and they end, ended up defunding them because of the amount of bias that they were, they were doing in their research. And that, you know, that was the, they gave us the Dickey Amendment, mm-hmm. and the Dickey Amendment is still in force. And it doesn't say that they can't do firearms research. They can't do bias advocacy research, which, of course, a that's what difference. they want. There's a big yeah, difference. That, that's what they want to do. Because remember back in the, what, 2012, 20, whatever it was, um, when uh, Obama uh, actually had, had the CDC do research about you know, gun use, and, and it confirmed all the stuff that we've been saying. And so it was never really... Uh, touted by the mainstream media because that goes against their narrative. Didn't fit their narrative, right? Exactly. So, so DRGO is we're the we're kind of the anti Bloomberg School of Public Health. So we we look at the stuff that comes out and we analyze it, and you know, and Bloomberg's got unlimited money. They've got uh, the Bloomberg School uh, in in California. Uh, one of the California senators. Uh, set up a, a thing for uh, Garen Wintemute, and they gave him five million dollars to set up his violence research institute. And the state of New Jersey actually gave Rutgers University two million dollars to do uh, firearms research. Yeah. So, so if you think the state of California and the state of New Jersey are going to accept non-biased research that that actually supports firearms use. You know, amongst civilians, you got another thing coming. No, no. And speaking of the biased research, so let's back up a bit. You were talking about those pediatricians that are putting out selective bias. So they figured out there's not a lot of 15 year old gangbangers, right? Well, there are some, but not many. But in order, but in order to, yeah, in order to pad the numbers, they had to go all the way up. Yeah, they they go up. Well, there's there are. I mean, you know, I'm I'm sure there are 12 year old kids in gangs too. Oh, and but some of I them, didn't say some there were getting, many. Yeah, but yeah. there's not very many. Not but, enough to skew right, their exactly. numbers. Exactly. And so, in, in order to get enough numbers to make things, uh, to, to make their point, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, they they get they they keep adding the the you know going older and older and older. And, you know, in the meantime, you know, if you're 18 or even 17 years old, you could serve in the military. Right. You know, and, and so and you can you can uh, operate crew served fully automatic weapons. Yeah. At that age, safely and effectively. But, uh, you know, uh, it's crazy the but way you can't that. Be tr- yeah. You can't. Yeah, that's right. But, you, you know, you can't be trusted under age 21 in a lot of states now. Uh, you know, and it's just a way of of increasing the number of people who are disenfranchised. You know, it's it's so they can groups. so they can make their story uh, means mean something, which is it's false, but it appears real. Well, it, but what it does is it it reduces the gun culture. Mm-hmm. If you can, you know, but for instance, the, the wife of a young uh, marine, let's say, and she's she's you know 19 years old, and he goes on deployment. She can't have a gun to protect herself, even though she's by herself. That's ridiculous. You know, because she's under 21. Yeah. Even though she's got a house. She may even have a kid at home. You know, 
And so this is the kind of stuff that they don't talk about. They don't want, they don't want to talk about that. No, they just, they just want to have prohibited groups and they want to make those groups bigger and bigger and bigger. So they use mental health and they use, you know, uh, domestic violence or the threat of domestic violence yeah. or they, or they use, uh, you know, uh, the senior citizens who, who need somebody to help them with their taxes all of yeah. a sudden you, you lose your, your, your second amendment rights because of that. Mm. This is all stuff that's been done. And it's, you know, and so trying to increase prohibited people, you know, putting people on the no fly list. If you're on the, no, if they wanted to be on the no fly list, you can't get a gun. That's that's, they've been trying to do that for years and they haven't been able to pull that one off yet. Even though Teddy Kennedy was on the no fly list for a while. So, you yeah. know, so that no fly list, you know, is not, and it's and nobody's accountable. Yeah, so. yeah. So, all good stuff, John. Um, tell people what you do at DRGO. Yeah, I'm the membership director, so my job is uh, basically try to increase membership. So, if you are interested in being a member of DRGO, you can go to our website drgo.us and just click on the tab and, and fill out. Uh, the the uh, membership application. Uh, you, you don't have to be a doctor. You don't have to be a healthcare professional. Of course, we certainly do like doctors and healthcare professionals. Uh, and it's you know thirty five dollars, which is tax deductible, and it's voluntary. So if you don't have the money, to you certainly can still join. And there's a, there's ways that you can help out. You can do um, you know social media. You can write. We have. We have a blog that comes out twice a week, the, the original articles from from our members, um, and it comes out on Tuesday and Thursday. It's out on our website. We also have a Facebook page that there's always something going on there. There's always interesting articles and people commenting on it. So there's a lot of exchange. There's a lot of good ideas going back and forth. So it's a, it's a really good place to be. And I'm glad you're talking about all this stuff. In fact, I'm, I'm glad you're talking about all of the selective bias out there. Uh, that does not get enough airplay. More people should be talking about it and exposing that right because you know anybody can write a paper that uh that confirms their bias it's not hard to do you no. just have to play with the numbers anybody who knows statistics you know there's there's uh there's lies there's damn lies and there's statistics <laughs> you know and so if if you if you know how to play play the statistics game you can make uh, any conclusion happen that you want to by by messing with the data <laughs> I like that one. Lies, yeah. damn lies, and statistics. <laughs> yep, yep, and they're they're all the same. They really are. So, That's so unless good. unless you, yeah, unless you unless you um, you know you know you're held to a um, a higher standard, and people people know that they're being scrutinized. Uh, you know, but they're still gonna they're still gonna lie, and and, and the problem is is that the uh, the mainstream media picks up on these studies that are bogus studies, and they they tout them as being gospel truth and fact, and and they're not. And so our job is to at least expose that for what they expose them for what they are. You know, John Lott does a lot of the same kind of things, um, but you know we do it from a med- kind of a medical standpoint. And you know. In closing, I want to say this, and then I'm going to give you the last word on this. You know, I actually, I, I engage I engage in selective bias nearly every day in my career as a salesperson for 32 years. The difference is, the difference is a, a, good, a good sales professional worth their salt will use selective bias, but only by telling the truth. 
Um, I will, I don't, I don't lie. I will tell the truth about my competitor's weakness. And that's a way of using selective bias because, because I know my competitors, they're out there telling my customers the truth about my, uh, company's weaknesses. So that's, that's selective bias. Some people call that persuasion, but what really bothers me is when, is when they're, like you said, the lies, damn lies and, and out there and they're, they're using the lies for their selective bias. That's where I draw the line. Yeah, no, and and, that, and uh, unfortunately, that's where we're at right now, and because there's no, um, there's no conscience in it. You know, it's all about the agenda. It's all about about uh, the means to push, the end. Right, exactly right. And so there's no, it's it's more, it's perfectly moral to them to lie if it gets gets them to where they want to be. Oh wow, all good stuff, John. Really good stuff, and. Um, uh, folks, every, everything John's talking about, or most everything, I'm going to have a link in the show notes for the classes that he's talked about for DRG, DRGO and, and all the other subjects and, and the medical classes and things like that. It'll all be in the in the show notes. What, what's the last word, John? The last word is 2adoc.com. Okay. And that's, that's a matching service that we provide for free to both physicians, healthcare providers, and patients. And what we're trying to do is match up Patients with two-way friendly healthcare providers that don't ask you stupid questions like, do you own a gun? They're more interested in taking care of you rather than to push the, uh, the anti-two-way agenda. Now, that's pretty good. 2adoc.com. That's correct. So it's you the can number link- two and adoc.com. Right. And you can, you can link to that through drgo.us, or you can just go directly to 2adoc.com. And I'll put a link in the show notes for this episode directly to 2adoc. So what's your involvement with them? You're just a member there, or are you... Uh... Yeah, I'm, just a, I'm a member to 2adoc.com. Um, it's actually run by Arthur Perspinda. He's, he's the project director, and he's the guy that came up with it. Okay. And, and the other thing is it's not a searchable database. Oh. Arthur 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 takes each individual thing and matches it up with our list, and so the antis can't go on the on the computer, sign up, go on the computer, and find out all the two way friendly doctors, and then have demonstrations out in front of their offices. We don't do that. Oh, that's stuff. good. We, we won't let them pull that. So it's it's entirely confidential, and uh, you know the, the the specialties that we're looking for are predominantly primary care doctors. So. Family doctors, internists, pediatricians, uh, psychiatrists, and psychologists are very oh, yeah, yeah. needed be- because of all this, you know, uh, you know, red flag stuff and trying to trying to make people disqualified because of some thing that happened 30 years ago. Maybe a little episode of, you know, perfectly reasonable depression, right. uh, and also things like eye doctors. Um, because shooters all need good eyes, and so people want a good two-way friendly eye doctor too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. Um, yeah, that's important. And well, g- good stuff, John. Thanks. Thanks again for coming on. It's it's been a long time. It's interesting. I think uh, I was trying to do a little bit of research yesterday. I think it's been like about a year since you've been on this show. I'll try not to let that happen again. No, well, it's always fun to come on with you, and, and you know, and, well, you know, you're not doing it as often as you used to either. So, uh, we, you're being a little bit more selective with your guests. So, I appreciate you asking me to be. <laughs> I am. Thanks, uh, folks. This is Doctor John Edine, and there, there's plenty of ways to look him up, and you know. There's, there's also a pretty good chance that if you take some of these classes, you might see him and shoot next to him. 
Oh yeah, it's, it's fun. Yeah, you guys are doing another class in November, so I'll, I'll see if I if I'm available. October and November. One, once okay. in October, once in November. Yeah. Ben and I are teaching, and uh, in okay. this episode, I'll be talking a little bit more about that as well. Okay. Well, I know that the October is a pretty busy. I'm going to be gone for a couple of weeks in October, but uh, yep. I'm going to try to make the November one if I can. Yeah, just, yeah Ben and I have changed it up significantly, um, especially the second day we've we've changed up. And uh, we're doing some stuff. Well, I don't want to. I won't let, let too much of the cat out of the bag. But we're doing some things that he and I kind of created together, and it'll it'll be pretty good. Oh, good. Well, I'm looking, looking forward, forward to it. Yeah, we're we're. Look. Dr. John Adine, thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Thanks for coming on. Oh, my pleasure as always. And thanks. Thank again. Thanks again. Thank you very much, John. You know, folks, people get on my show and they interview with me and they donate their time. And I really appreciate Dr. Adeen donating his time, as well as John Payne, uh, the last episode, and all the many people that I've had on this. So if you please, you know, check them out. Check out the the websites that they represent, the causes that they represent, drgo.us and 2adoc.com for Dr. Adeen, Payne Defense Academy for John Payne, or you can find John Payne's classes at Suarez International. And I'll put links to all these in the show notes. But again, great stuff, John. I hope all of you learned from this and can you believe how many hours of training? I mean, nearly a thousand hours Dr. Adeen has has trained. Uh, that That's just amazing if you think about that. Nearly a thousand hours on the shooting range conduct, uh, actually being a student. I mean, that's that's what you call being a student, I would think. How many of you have a, almost a thousand hours logged? So that's all I want to say for this episode. Remember, if you've never given me an iTunes review and you do use iTunes... Go over there, give me a give me a review. I'd love to have that and uh, and a voicemail if you uh, if you wish. Ask questions. I'd like to make the next episode about some listener feedback. So two one zero six four six seventeen twenty seven. The email is handgunworld dot excuse me handgunworld at gmail dot com and handgunworld podcast on Facebook. With all that said, remember shoot straight, shoot safe. And evil does not exist in the holster. It exists in the hearts of men and women. Ben Branham and I are going to show you how to fight back if it happens to you. So really seriously think about coming to San Antonio. If you want to make a special trip here, get signed up for one of our classes. If you're within a reasonable driving distance of San Antonio, you got two options. Once in October once in November and be uh, be watching for the links on that very soon thanks folks thanks for listening thanks for tuning in I'm Bob Main I carry a gun because I can't carry a cop talk to you next time